So uh, welcome. I'm glad you are here. If you look about, you'll notice that many of the staff aren't. There's some that are. I'm, I'm very grateful for the ones that are. I'm grateful for the ones that aren't. But I mean, uh, let's not go there. Okay, yeah, I am grateful for them too. So uh, no, I am. There's a bunch that are at a conference this week. And so that's uh, kind of a fun thing that uh, they get to go to today and tomorrow. And uh, yeah, it's a fun time for them. So they're down there having a big time. I'm up here. Yeah, uh, so they're, uh, they're doing that. No, it's good. I'm having a big time up here. Quite frankly, if I can get this thing to work, I'll be having a bigger time. So, okay, there we go. It's almost there. There we go. Okay, tonight we're going to, uh, we're going to start a new series. Um, we're going to be looking at a series on the Bible and um, just trying to uh, get, um, get some greater understanding about it. And, and what we're looking at, the title of tonight's message is The Bible, Why, Why, Why? We'll get into that in just a second. But, um, you know, I'd encourage you that one of the things you may want to do tonight, you may want to jot a few things down because, you know, it may be that you want to refer back to those later on. Or if you think, um, wow, I think you're talking like maybe faster than normal sometimes tonight. Well, that's because we got some ground to cover. And so if uh, if we're going fast, then this, you know, check with Paul. This will be up on the website soon and you can refer back or something like that. But um, the Bible, if you haven't noticed, the Bible can be kind of a... uh, it can be kind of a controversial book sometimes. Um, do you guys ever feel, those of you that uh, are believers, any of you uh, ever feel a need like, you know, you've got to kind of defend the Bible or something around people? Or like you get around some of your friends, you've got to kind of, you know, defend it or apologize for it or something, you know? I mean, just, you know, some, some feeling like that a lot of times. And yet, um, we'll see, that's really not true at all. Um, you look at a lot of people, I was just reading an article, in fact, uh, uh, we were talking earlier that, you know, some folks today, they look at the Bible and they really see it as like just irrelevant, just just doesn't apply to anything anymore. You know, I mean, lots of people adopt that position. Some, they get really upset when you quote it. Have you ever noticed that? You mentioned the Bible and they're like, Ugh. then there's other people, they get really upset when you don't. You know, you're like, What's up with that? I can't win. You know, and so you just look at that. Some people... Um, they um, look at the Bible and they think, that's kind of a nice, nostalgic old book. That's nice. Kind of like old family photos or something. You kind of look through it and you think, isn't that nice? Yet other people look at it and they think, man, that is a vital, life-giving book. So who's right? You know, what's true? Well, does it matter? Well, yeah, I would submit it, it matters very much. You know, we want to look at that. So tonight as we look at this, I want us to look at three whys. Why do we need it? Why do we believe it? Why do we obey it? Why do we need it in the first place? Why do we believe it? And why do we obey it? So let's look at the first one. Why do we need it? Now, if you haven't figured out, the main reason we need the Bible is simply this. God exists outside of time and space. Now, the theological word for that is he is transcendent. In other words, you know, um, he is he is outside of our realm. He he is transcendent above that. A biblical concept of that, when they refer to that in the Bible, what they say is God is holy. Now, we look at the word H-O-L-Y and we think holy. What it means within Scripture when they say God is holy is that he is W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other. He is totally different. He is not like we are. He is like 
different. You know, he is, uh, he is transcendent. He, he is, you know, outside of things. And so when you begin to look, you know, you begin to figure out God is, uh, God is very different. For us to know him, he has to choose to reveal himself to us. In fact, if he didn't choose to reveal himself to us, we would never know him. Have you ever thought about that? How, how would you, you know, I mean, revelation, God's revelation to us, that's not discovery. How would you find God? I mean, what tools would you use? A telescope? A microscope? A stud finder? I mean, what would you, I mean, what would you use? You know, I mean, how would you actually find God? See, you can't, and, and the bottom line is this. The only way we'll ever know God is if he chooses to reveal himself. Now, there's two types of revelation that you see with God. The first type is just called general revelation. And by that, what we're talking about there is like nature or, you know, creation is part of that. And, and another part of that is just a, kind of a, a, a sense of a moral consciousness within people when they think about things. Like sometimes you'll talk to people and, and they'll say, you know, I don't have any use for God and stuff like that. But then as you begin to talk to them more and you engage them in conversation, you'll find out they have a sense, well, this is right and this is wrong. And you say, where did that come from? Oh, um, culture, really? I mean, have you seen culture lately? I mean, you know, I don't get a whole lot of sense of right and wrong there from sometimes. You, you start looking, no, you find within every one of us, there's just this sense of moral consciousness there's this sense of, of, you know, we look around and, and we see creation. And so we can, we can detect some things. But the only way, the only things you can know about God in general revelation is you can know about him in a general way. I mean, you can look around and you can see things like, okay, uh, you know, he likes variety. Look around the room. You know, he likes variety. You know, you look around and you think, okay, you know, he likes, uh, he likes order. You know, you never do walk down the sidewalk and all of a sudden you're going, look at that. That tree is growing down instead of growing up. All the leaves are underground. That's, that's, the roots are above. No, it's not like that. It's always order. The roots are below the ground. You know, the trees above the ground. There's just different things. You know, God loves order. He loves diversity. You can notice some of those things about him. But all you can do is know him in a general way. General revelation is one of the reasons there's so many world religions today. Have you ever thought about that? Why are there so many different religions that crop up all over the place? Well, it's because of general revelation. There's a, there's a moral consciousness to people. And there's this sense of, you know, we need to find God. In fact, most religions, what they are, they're the attempt of men to try to figure out, you know, value and meaning and purpose. And they're trying to figure out some way to work their way up to God, some way to find God. But Religion arises out of this general revelation, but it tends to be kind of garbled and distorted. See, all men have some idea of God, but what you can know about God at best from general revelation is uncertain and kind of ambiguous. At worst, it's kind of dangerous. And you've seen some of that where you see some religions that you're going, whoa, those are like dangerous. And you're like, yeah, you know, and why? Well, that's, it's a general revelation. So it's not that the problem exists with the general revelation. In fact, it's kind of like radio signals. Have you ever noticed like radio signals when they first come out? They're very pure when, they first, uh, when they're first sent out. If they seem garbled, the problem is the receiving unit. The problem is not the signals. And you find out it's, it's the same way. God's revelation, his general revelation, it's really good. 
but we're the ones who kind of garble it up. We're the ones who kind of mess it up. So general revelation can be vague. It can be kind of confusing. So what's needed is the second thing that God provides, and that is special revelation. So special revelation has three facets. All of them are vital. The first one is simply this, manifestation. In other words, manifestation is simply the acts of God in history for a special redemptive purpose. So the acts of God in history, uh, you can think of things like, you know, um, the parting of the Red Sea. You can think of things like the flood. You can think of things like, you know, the cross. You can think of a lot of different things, but it's the acts of God in history for a special redemptive purpose. The second aspect of special revelation is simply inspiration. Now that's the acts of God where he enables certain people to understand and interpret the significance of his manifestations, of what he's done. So it's, it's God enabling people to know. Can you imagine if you didn't know that? I mean, can you imagine? You know, I mean, you might, uh, you might look and you might think, okay, you know, this, this event happened. But what does that mean? What significance does it have? Does it have any meaning for me at all? And, and you would not know that apart from inspiration. The third aspect of special revelation is illumination. And that's the act. Acts of God in every age, enabling people to understand and respond to his inspired manifestations. So if you, let me give you an example of this that will kind of summarize it all and give you a picture of what I'm talking about. Jesus, his coming, his, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. You look at that and you think, okay, what is the manifestation? What is the act of God? It's sending his son into the world to take our place in payment for sin. That is the manifestation, God sending his son into the world. Now, the inspiration where God begins to reveal to us what that's all about is, he says, the authors of the gospel tell us this was in fact not just a man. This was God. I mean, if you looked at people at at that day, it wasn't like there were certain people that go, oh, I know Jesus, and other people go, I don't even know who that is. No, it wasn't like that. It was like people knew who Jesus was, but you know who they thought he was? Well, he's the illegitimate son of, uh, of Joseph and Mary, right? I mean, isn't that who he is? See, that was what they thought, and the reason they thought that was because, you know what, that just seemed to make sense. They had a general sense, but they didn't have anybody in, with an inspired thing that were telling him, no, no, this is who this is. This is the son of God who actually was born of a virgin, is living a perfect life and will one day pay for all of our sin. So that's the inspiration part. The illumination part is God draws people to himself and begins to allow them to understand for the first time. I didn't just die for the world. I died for you. And I want you to be part of my family. And so people began to see, oh, my gosh, this is true for me, just like it's true for someone else. So that is what is needed. So why do we need why do we need the Bible? Well, in the Bible, you have a chronicle of the acts of God and the and the interpretation of those acts, what it is that's going on, why it's actually happening 
What is God doing behind the scenes and things? That's why we need it. If God did not choose to reveal himself, we could never, ever know him. We would never know why he acted, and we, would, we wouldn't even know how to enter into a relationship with him. We'd be like those people that are like always seeking and never finding, you know. We would never know. So the Christian faith is a response to God's self-disclosure. It's a response to God's self-disclosure. I mean, sometimes I think we really, guys, I think we really take the Bible for granted in that regard. Like, well, you know, that's nice. But actually, God and I have this relationship. And you think, based on what? How would you know that? And how would you even know how to have a relationship with him apart from what he has chosen to reveal? If God did not choose to reveal himself to us, we could never have a relationship with him. So why do we need need the Bible? For that very reason. Because we can never have a relationship with him otherwise. Secondly, why believe the Bible? I mean, it is what you're trusting. You know, if you're a, a follower of Christ, it is what you're trusting for life and eternity. So, you know, how would you know about grace How would you know about faith in God? How would you know about those things apart from the Bible? You wouldn't. I mean, would you, who would come up with that? Have you ever thought that? How many of you, if you were trying to figure out what's going on with God, do you think, oh, wait a minute. I've been looking at the fact that there's trees out here and bugs and birds and all sorts of things. And you know what I figured out? Somehow, God is going to take all of our sin upon himself, and he's going to pay. Anybody would come up with that and would think, you know what? Grace. No, no. If you look around at the religions of the world, what are they? You need to figure out some way to just beat yourself. You need to figure out some way to deny yourself. You need to figure out some way to, to you know, pay your way to make your way pleasing to God. You've just got to really do all these things. You've got to jump through all these hoops. You've got to achieve this. You've got to achieve that, you know. And then once you get there, you're probably not going to do it again. So you're going to recycle around. You're going to come back as a grasshopper and good night. Who wants to do that, you know. And so you've got all of these different things that, you know, they come up with. No one comes up with grace. No one comes up with grace. How would we even know about that? We only know because God's told us. So, why should you believe the Bible, though? That's a very good question to ask. Why not the Quran? Why not the Bhagavad Gita? You know, why, why not the, the, the sutras? Why, why not those? I mean, if you look at those, why, why not those? Now, I hope your answer to that is not like, well, the Bible works for me. I mean, that's, that's, that's good, and I'm, I'm glad it does, and I, I'm all for that. But I think, really? Well, what about the guy that goes to AA? And he goes, actually, 12 steps work for me. Or worse than that, like I, I was actually, when Melinda and I first got married, this was long ago, Melinda and I first get married, and we're in this church, and there's this gal in this church, and one day I'm sitting here talking to her, and I'll just forego her name, but she's talking about stuff, and she says, to me one day, she goes, you know what? About eight years ago, it just seemed like life just was just in a turmoil for me. It just wasn't coming together. Things were just like, just really all over the place. And she goes, and then 
something happened. And uh, I'll tell you what, my life's really been different ever since. And I thought, oh, I want to hear about this. So I said, well, tell me more. She goes, yeah, Tupperware. I said, well, what? She goes, Tupperware. I said, Tupperware? Let's snap on Tupperware? She goes, that's right. I was at a party, and someone told me about Tupperware. And as I began to buy Tupperware, I began to just be more organized in my house. And then I began to sell Tupperware. And she goes, have you ever bought Tupperware? I said, no. And I'm sitting there thinking, you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, you are kidding me. And she goes, I mean, honestly, I've just found new reason for going on and new life. And I thought, in Tupperware? Are you kidding me? She wouldn't. Tupperware. Now, you look at that and you think, okay, you know, she's about a couple sandwiches short of a picnic, you know, but I mean, what the heck is going on with that? I mean, what is up with that? You know, what's, what's she about? You know, and you think, well, but you know what? It's the same sort of reasoning, isn't it? The reasoning is something like this. It works for me, therefore it's true. No, 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 no. That is simply to trust experience. See, it's true, and that's why it works for you. It's not it works for you, and therefore it's true. No, the reason it does work for you, which I'm glad it does, is because it's true. But we don't want to get that. So why do we believe? Why believe? I want to give you one simple statement. And it's simply this. It'll be up on the board. The Bible is, in fact, I'll even give you a card with this on it later on, so you will be tickled spitless and be able to have this. But it is simply this. The Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy and claim that their <clears throat> excuse me, claim that their writings are divine and not human in origin. Now that's a whole thing, so we'll go through it here, so don't worry about that. This is not <clears throat> original with me. This was actually a friend of mine. And actually, it didn't originate with him either. It actually originated with a guy named Peter who spent a little over three years with Jesus. And so he was with Jesus for, you know, a long time, traveling around, following him around. And then if you look in your Bible over at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 in, in verses 16 through 21, what you find is this. He begins to talk about uh, why he is defending Scripture right here in this point. Why is he defending his belief in the Scriptures? And so what Peter says is, this is 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. He said, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a
moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So you begin to look and you begin to see, he says, this is, this is what I believe. So what is Peter's argument? Glad you asked. Peter's argument is this. First of all, he says, it is a reliable collection of historical documents. In other words, he says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we didn't follow these tales. And he said, no, 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 no. We're operating off of something totally different. We have a set of documents. We, and when he talks about we, it's not just one person. This is a collection of documents. It's not just like you had one guy back there going, oh, let me see. I think I'm going to write a story about Jesus. And he starts writing this. No. You know, I think I'm going to write the story about God and everything. I'm going to start something like, "Mm, in the beginning. Yeah. You know, and he starts, no. This isn't one guy. You know, we'll see that in a minute. No, a lot of different guys. Written on three different continents by over 40 different authors over a period of over 1,500 years. And men of all sorts of backgrounds. You had kings, you had prophets. You had doctors, you had fishermen, you had all kinds of people writing this. And yet there's a cohesiveness to the whole thing. All of it points in one direction. Some of the men were men like John. So in in John, if you uh, are looking there in in the Bible, if you flip over just a little bit to 1 John, in 1 John chapter 1, John says this. If I can get there, he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So when he's picking up on this, one of the very first things he says is, you know what? This is not something that we just made up. This is not some clever story we came up with. This is things that was attested to by eyewitnesses throughout. And that's the second part. He said, it's written down by eyewitnesses. For in verse 17 and 18, he says, For when we received honor and glory, uh, he received honor and glory from God the Father. Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. And then he goes on and, and talks about what was said to him there. Peter there is referring to the story. If you remember the story, it's recorded in three different Gospels. In Mark 9, in um, Luke 9, and in Matthew 17. It's, it's the story of the transfiguration. I'll bet you Peter remembered that well. Do you remember what went on with that? That's when Peter is standing up on the mountain there and all of a sudden Elijah appears and Moses appears and Jesus is there and he says, and Peter, not knowing what to say, said, and Peter's, and all of a sudden he hears this voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. And now Peter left one little phrase off that he said right there. He says, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And all of a sudden Peter's going, oh, Kind of quiet, you know. This right here, Peter says, you know what? We were there. Every one of us. We were eyewitnesses. This is not something that was just made up. We were eyewitnesses to this fact. We saw it. Paul picks up on that. If you read over in like 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 3 through 8, Paul's talking about when 
Jesus is crucified and he's risen from the dead. He says, you know, first he appeared to a couple and then later on he appeared to the 12. He said, and then he's appeared to over 500, many of which are still alive today. And so he's telling me, guys, the stuff that we are looking at, this is not stuff that somebody just made up. This is not some story that somebody came up with. This is truth. This is stuff that was attested to by eyewitnesses who lived during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Now, if you saw someone and they were, you know, just making up a story, they were going around propagating something, don't you think you would say something about that? Like, you know, actually I was there and it did not happen like that at all. You know, Peter was just talking the whole time. No, there were no other voices up. I mean, would you, would you not correct? I mean, yeah, there were people all over the place that would correct that, especially if you start looking at the disciples. They love to correct one another. You know, so, I mean, that was not a problem. So, I mean, these guys would have corrected things, but no. These were eyewitness accounts. These were things that happened. Third thing he says, they report supernatural events that took place. They report supernatural events that took place. One of those being the transfiguration. Now, that would have been pretty cool. I mean, you're there, you're kind of looking at that, you're thinking, wow. It would have been pretty cool to hang out with Jesus during any of those three years. Like, one guy on the side of the road named Bartimaeus starts calling at him, you know, Jesus, come over here. And the disciples are going, shh, 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 shh. be quiet. He's going, Jesus. And he starts yelling louder, and, you know, the disciples are going, oh, my gosh. You know. And Jesus goes, I'll go over there. Jesus walks over there. Says, what would you like? Now, I mean, if I'm a blind guy, I'm thinking, really? Are you sure you're who you think you are? I mean, honestly, I mean, you know. He goes, what would you like? Well, I'd like to see. What does Jesus do? Restores his sight. You see later on, there's a deaf man. What does Jesus do? Jesus restores. The best of all, Friday, he's dead. Sunday, he's not. You think, wow. Okay, now that... I mean, supernatural events. These aren't just like superhuman things. These are supernatural events. Supernatural events that were in fulfillment of specific prophecy. So if I said this to you, you know, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where is that? What is that? Anybody know? What is that? Who said that? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, that's what we would say. Actually, if you look in Psalms chapter 22, in Psalm chapter 22, David writes this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my grace. You see, what the Psalms are, the Psalms are like songs. They're like songs that go on. And so whenever you sing the first line of a song, what, what do people start thinking about? The rest of the song, right? Like if I say, you know, something like, you know, Mary had a little lamb. What do you guys think? Whose fleece was white as well? Yeah, you know, everywhere that Mary went. That lamb was sure to go. Yeah, you start thinking, you think about the rest. Well, you know what? When you read on to the rest of it in Psalm 22, because I know that the minds of these people, when they see Jesus up on the cross and Jesus says, you know, 
lama lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Jesus says this, they began to think about that, and all of a sudden they began to think about the rest of it, because they sang these songs. And they think of this, like in verse 6, it says, I am but a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip, they wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him you rescue him, because he delights in him. Remember those words with Jesus when they said, You know, let God deliver you. Let's see if you're really who you say you are. Or they remember where it says, I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And thou dost lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded. That was how the, the Jews referred to Gentiles. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. Yeah, one on the right, one on the left. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothes, they cast lots. That's Psalm 22. Written 1,000 years before Jesus was ever around. And talking about crucifixion, which had not even been invented yet. You begin to look and you see, you know, it is supernatural events that are recorded in line with specific prophecy and claim to have writings that are divine rather than human in origin. In verse 20 and 21, he says this, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Over and over in Scripture, we see the writers of Scripture say things like this, and then God spoke, or God said, or thus saith the Lord. Over and over and over, what they claim is the very things we're telling you are things that have originated with God. In Hebrews 4.12, he says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of both joint and marrow, soul and spirit, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, why believe the Bible? It is the reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, they report supernatural events or acts of God that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. Now, what I want us to understand is this, though. The Bible, the Bible is not the basis of our faith. The Bible's not the basis of our faith. But it accur accurately records the events that are the basis of our faith. The life, the death, the burial, 
the resurrection of Christ. Those are the things that are the foundation of our faith. Those are the reasons that you know, we trust that. And because the Bible accurately records that, you know, over you know, 1,500 years, over 40 different authors on three different continents, all of these people recording these things, because of that, we can trust that. Now, we could, we could talk a lot more about just, you know, you could look back and you could say, well, you know, but there's been a lot of different translations. What about this stuff? I mean, if you go back and look, the Bible is, is more documented and, and more trustworthy than any ancient manuscript you'll ever find. I mean, we have over 6,000 copies uh, of the scripture that date back to like 120 um, A.D. And you look and you think, 6,000? Is, is that a lot? Well, you know, when you consider that like with Homer and the Iliad, we'll have something like three or four. Yeah, 6,000 is kind of a lot. Yeah. You know, and when you consider that like, you know, it dates back to like 120 A.D. So like within, you know, um, within about, you know, 90 to 100 years, you think, is that, is that pretty good? Yeah, if you look at things like Homer, it's like a thousand years, two thousand years after. So you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing if you look at it. That you know, it's very very trustworthy in its historical content in, in its reliability. So why do we why do we obey the Bible? I mean, we've kind of looked at okay, why do we need it? We kind of looked at you know, why do we why do we believe it? Why do we obey it? I mean, why? Well, when you realize that the transcendent God has chosen to reveal himself to us in a personal way, not only with general information, but with clear, accurate understanding so that we could know him personally and have a relationship with him. And when you realize that he gave us all the information that we needed, not just so that we could know about him, but that we could actually know him. And when you realize that we have a collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that record supernatural events that fulfill specific prophecy and claim to be divine in origin, and not human in origin, when you realize that, does it make sense to do anything but to eagerly and faithfully obey what God has chosen to reveal in his word? I mean, would that make sense to do anything else? I mean, I would say, uh, yeah, no. I mean, it would make sense totally for us to obey. But beyond that, if you start looking, why should we obey? Well, you look at the life of Jesus. Jesus chose to do that. You look in, in uh, Matthew 4, and in like Matthew 4, 4, Jesus is out and, and he's being tempted in the wilderness. And while he's there, you know, he's, um, he's speaking to uh, the devils trying to tempt him with things. And Jesus says to him, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You look a little bit later in, in like uh, Matthew five seventeen, and Jesus said, did you think I came to destroy uh, the word of God, to destroy the life? He said, no, I came to fulfill Every word of it. So Jesus 
Jesus obeyed it. Jesus took it very seriously. In fact, you look at many other places, Jesus says, I don't do things unless the Father says them. I don't, you know, I don't act in certain ways unless this is what God says to do. I, you know, I obey him. He obeyed what the word of God said over and over. He quotes Deuteronomy and many other places. So then, you know, another reason we would want to obey, you know, Jesus said that's really a sign of our love for God. John 14, 21, he says, he who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will show myself to him. You know, a lot of times if you're ever thinking in your life, you know what? I'd really like God to just kind of show me more of himself. In fact, you know what? If God would show me more of himself, I would really obey him. I really would. Well, see, that's good, except there again, that's one of those things like we looked at earlier, that's just backwards. It's not like, you know what, God? If you show me more of yourself, I'll obey you. God says, no, I'll tell you what we do. If you obey me, I'll show you more of myself. You're like, oh. And since he's the one showing, it's probably a good idea that we do that. Um, Lastly, you know, Paul, Paul points out the profitability of following God's words. In, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, fully prepared for every good work. So he says, you know, the word of God is profitable. It's profitable for teaching. It shows you how to get on the right path. It's profitable for correction. It shows you when you've gotten off of it. It's profitable for reproof. It shows you how to get back on it. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. It shows you how to stay on it. He said, you know, the word of God fully fits you in all areas of your life. So why, why, why? Well, I hope you have a better understanding of some of the why, why, whys that we want to uh, do that. We're going to, next week, we're going to look at a little bit more of, Aaron's going to jump in and look a little bit more of the what, like how do we get, how did we get the canon that we currently have? How did that, how did that come about? Which is what they call like the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible. How do, how do we get that? We're going to look some more at that the next week. We're going to look on in the next, the few weeks after that, we're going to look at, you know, okay, how do you actually get into the scriptures where you can actually learn from and stuff like that? And we're also going to look at, you know, just so what? You know, you got the Bible, so what? What do we do with that? What difference does that really need to make in our life? So let's take a minute, let's pray. And we'll invite the uh, team back up here to lead us. Father, thanks for the fact that you chose to reveal yourself to us. Father, we know full well that um, you, being a transcendent God, Father, you exist outside of time and space. There is absolutely no way we would ever have known you, much less ever have any hope beyond this life if it wasn't for you choosing to reveal yourself to us. So thank you for how you've done it. Thank you for the uh, faithfulness of men who really listened to your voice and listened um, to the things you had to say and then gave us a written record of that that is reliable and trustworthy and shows exactly how you've acted. Thank you that because of that, we know that it really does work for us because it's true. And so, Father, help us to take and live our lives in such a way that we really 
um, follow you and really um, grow to know you and love you and have lives that are different as a result. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.